Good morning. Uh, Today's reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Yeah, me too. It's been a while. Glad to be back with you. Um, Man, I just want to say off the top, you know, I've... uh, I'm honest, my heart comes a little burdened today. Um, Not necessarily from anything in particular, but in general, just taking stock of our world today and our cultural climate, um, pervasive division and strife, man, it, it honestly just breaks my heart. my hope, you know, I went to Bible school, and uh, people with Bible school, one, were just a little crazy, I'll say, Uh, and we have all these ideals, and I remember being like 18 and being in this place where all we talked about was Jesus and stuff, and I just felt like, oh my gosh, like all God is waiting to do to make the world perfect is for like me to graduate. And then I'm going to bust out with all spiritual knowledge. And, like, I'm going to be a person that says, like, here I am, Lord, send me. And he's going to, and it's going to be great. And there's not going to be any more problems. There'll be some problems. There'll be minor problems. uh, And we'll make it through. And and the world is just going to be so full of God's love and glory. And, man, I was in for a rude awakening. Um, And now... Decade later, decades later, I guess, well, uh, I sit and I just kind of just like am burdened. Um, I don't, I think it's fair to say culturally we're not in a good place. And that's not a political statement. And I hate the fact that I have to qualify that as a political statement. And uh, I just want to encourage us before, this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. As you're already like, did he read the wrong scripture text? Uh, (laughs) No, I just want to say this um, as a general exhortation as a pastor in this church, uh, that it is so necessary for us to do life together. I'm convinced of this 
right? Not just so for the exchange of ideas, but as believers for a place where we can fully open our hearts and be known, right? Um, It is pertinent. It is dire, right? Uh, If you got to make an option on what to do this week, that's something that I say. Please get with someone else and grow in relation until it's a safe place where you can bear your full selves and be heard and known and that we can start finding some community because the beautiful thing, one of the, be- the, the most, the thing I love most about Jesus and his disciples is that you have Matthew, this tax collector, who's just like completely sold out to, to Roman occupation. And then you have Simon the zealot who's like, you know, Hey, let's go ride. Like, he's ready to just get in a fist fight. And both of these men are sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so Jesus, I just want to say today, is always either to the, re- the right of us or the left of us, calling us together. And what this world needs now more than anything is the people of God to show them what is possible under the power of the gospel. The gospel that tears down dividing walls. And makes a new man, one new man where two men existed. Amen? Get in a life group. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't know. It doesn't have to be a life group. Just find somebody. All right, let's pray. Get started. Uh, Lord, I just come with you full hearted. And I pray that you would meet us here in all of your glory. Spirit, I have been praying all week for weeks that for this day you would hold nothing back from your people that you would come in full regalia. We swing wide the doors and we invite you and we beg not just for your, your attendance, not just that you're here, God, but that you would be active through the power of your spirit as we dive into your holy word. So come meet us here, Holy Spirit. Leave nothing behind. Lord, do not leave us the same as we walk from this place. May the meditations of my heart and may these words from my lips be a pleasing offering to you, my king. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so about this teaching text. Uh, We are in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. I am, um, you know, Caleb asked me, he is away. uh, uh, He has personal matters, uh, a wedding to to be in, and... um, he asked me, and that was really great, except for Romans 8, 31 through 39 is smack dab in between 8.15 and like 9.1, which talks about adoption. And I'm like in the middle of adoption. And I was like, Caleb, that was a $50,000 sermon illustration. <laughs> Out the window. You're killing me. Um, no, that's not why I did it. Uh, but... It does feel that way, right? That pastors just kind of look for things to like make an illustration. Um, anyway, let's keep moving. So I want to recap before us, though, why and here and where we are. I want us to take the, the 30,000 view and then we'll zoom in to where Paul's at today. But when we look at Romans, right, I want you to think of it this way. The first 12 chapters of Romans are split into two. And this is what happens. Paul is building a case. Okay, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he's saying, hey, I'm telling you, I want to break down this new thing that has come on the scene. All right. For Jews, 
Everything we've known has changed. The Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, he has come. Gentiles, you are no longer excluded. You are now a part of our family. And so he wants to break down the gospel, the reason why we're here, and he wants to lay it out in a very systematic fashion. I think he does so beautifully. But I want us to see this case that Paul is building so when we dive in today, it all makes sense in its proper context. So the first 12 chapters, 15 chapters of Romans are split into two parts. Part one is justification by faith. All right, so when we look at chapters one through 12, uh, Sorry, that's the whole thing. Chapters 1 through 12 is justification by faith. 12 through 15 is a transformed life. Those are the two divisions of the whole entire book of Romans. They're bookend by like, hey, what's up, and I'll talk to you later. But that's the meat of the book, okay? Now, we haven't gotten to the back half of the transformed life. We are still in the justification by faith portion of, of Paul's uh, exhortation. And under that justification, my faith, I want us to break down a little bit further because we're talking about 1 through 11, and those chapters are then further divided into a couple of of headings I want you to see. Uh, Essentially, first, Paul is addressing the need for salvation, namely sin, all right? And so if you look at verses 118 through uh, the end, uh, the middle of of chapter 3, Paul is saying, hey, we got a problem. The problem is sin, and it's terminal. We're in need of some help, or we're not going to make it through. From there, on this need, Paul provides the provision made for salvation, namely justification by faith. So Paul is saying, hey, there's a problem, but here is the solution that has been given to us. So we see that in Romans 3.21 through uh, 4.25, the end of chapter 4. Paul is saying, this is what God has done, his righteousness through Jesus Christ. And he uses Abraham as an example of faith. There is a problem, but there is a solution that has been provided, and that's access through faith. And then finally he comes, okay, to freedom the result of this salvation. There's a problem, there's been a provision, and if you take this provision of God, here is what results. in freedom. But freedom from what? Romans 5, chapter 5 tells us that we have freedom from wrath. Romans 6 says we have freedom from sin. So we are rightly uh, in trouble with a perfect God, but he's given us freedom from that. We are all under the effects of sin, but through this faith, we have freedom from our sin. Chapter 7, we are free from the law. We are free from this impossible standard of morality. We are no longer trying to be moral people. We are trying to be a people redeemed by God. Two wholly different things. And then lastly, under freedom is where we're going to zoom in today. And where Paul starts is he's talked about freedom from wrath, freedom from sin, and freedom from the law. We come in here now uh, to Romans 8. We've talked about last week a little bit. Uh, Caleb addressed um, a little bit of this freedom. But here we are at the end where I think he really gets into it. And I want you to hear this, right? So Paul has made this wonderful case. And he's saying to us, 
What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give up everything else? Who, dare accuse a, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So Paul is wrapping up chapter 8, and he's saying, I think I've given you enough to know that this is the real deal. And so he asks one question, what's holding you up? What's keeping you from jumping all in? Paul's like, don't you see? This is good news, right? You're set. I've told you that we are free from wrath. We're free from sin and we're free from the law. All these external pressures, right, that, that these bars that have been set upon you, they're gone. It almost sounds like, you know, one of those timeshare things. Ready to sign on the dotted line? What, what are you waiting for? What shall we say to these things? And for some of us, that's enough, right? We've heard enough uh, in these first uh, seven and a half chapters to say we're in. This makes sense. This sounds good. I'm aware of my brokenness. Salvation, please. I'll have that. And that's great. But for others of us, there's one last thing kind of holding us up. Uh, it reminds me, actually, it takes me back to my high school prom. Actually, it takes me back to the lack thereof of my high school prom. <laughs> so the thing was, prom was coming. Um, I, uh, I skipped 11th grade of high school, so I just went from, like, sophomore to senior. Um, so I had one shot at this moment. And, you know, you watch all the movies, and, man, prom is, like, the thing you don't want to miss. It's, like, literally, like, the payoff for 12 years of school, you know, this, this party, and this is awesome. And it's, like, the place where, like, you know, I don't know, people fall in love, and it's the greatest night of your life. So I led to believe. And I was dating this girl. I won't say her name. Uh, <laughs> I was dating this girl, and I was very excited uh, because at this point, uh, at the beginning of senior year of my life, uh, Jesus had not yet uh, fully taken control of my life. <laughs> and so there were aspects of prom that I was very excited for. <laughs> and I say unfortunately, it's not unfortunately. Fortunately, uh, fortunately for me, maybe unfortunately for her, uh, in the middle of my senior year, the Lord just invaded my life and I gave my life to him. And what that meant was there were these like changes in desires and attitudes and actions um, in my life. And so that meant when it was getting closer to prom, uh, I was had a choice because I knew uh, what was coming and that was not what I wanted anymore. And, uh, and this relationship was not a, a healthy relationship. Uh, I have a great story, uh, short See if any of our youth are in here. Uh, actually, they might already know this. Uh, this girl, we had a, the worst thing I've ever done was a hit and run. Um, not of a person. Uh, it was a car in a parking lot. Um, 
Long story. I'll, I'll give you the details over coffee. Uh, but she was there, right? So this is not just, we were like Bonnie and Clyde and not in like the Jay-Z and Beyonce way. Uh, it, was just, it was just not a good thing. And so uh, I broke up with her. I broke up with her like two weeks before prom. And I just kind of realized that I wasn't going to go to prom. And I remember the week that I broke up with her, I went to church and my youth pastor, who was just such like this awesome guy, whatever, he was like, seniors, prom night, we are holding a huge after party at our house. This is like all night. It's going to be so fun. You go to prom. It's going to be great. And then after you hang out with your friends, come back to our house. It's an all-nighter. Back, back when pastors did, youth pastors did those things. Uh, we do not do those things here. Uh, we're going to stay up all night and we're going to have fun. And all my friends were like, yeah, this is great. Except for me who wasn't going to go to prom. And I was like, well, that's cool. Great. And everyone was so excited about this thing, this after prom. But for someone who wasn't going to prom, uh, it just reminded me of how I was missing out. And so I still went to the party. And it was I showed up early because I didn't go to prom. <laughs> and no one was there. And everyone came filtering in with like their tuxes and talking about the prom and their dances and stuff. I was just like, oh, that sounds really cool. Glad you had a lot of fun. I'm over here trying to serve the Lord. <laughs> I told that story to say this. It's so often we can hear, right? Usually when you talk about Romans 8, 31 through 39, anyone who's been in church long enough knows that the big title in your Bible above it is, we are more than conquerors, right? This is triumphant. This is hot stuff. This is great. For some of us, we're like in it. And we're like, yes, I got a testimony of how the Lord has just radically changed my life and has met me in the deepest brokenness that I've, I've experienced. He's been right there. And yet for others of us, we're at the party, but we haven't really gotten the fullness of it yet. And we're just aware of all the ways we feel like the gospel seemingly comes up short. Uh, Caleb talks about the Enneagram, and he's a seven, which means he loves to have fun. He is uh, always up for a good time, does not, uh, doesn't like to get into the, 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 the muck and mire of, like, you know, conflict and things like that. But me, I'm a, a, a one. It's a reformer. I'm a person that <laughs> loves to point out what's wrong and fix it, but... I'm a, I am really great at being like, that's wrong. Um, we need to fix it. And as that, you know, it just resonates with me how we can sit and we can look at the gospel. We can look at this promise of freedom. And maybe we haven't experienced it yet. Maybe we've experienced it in part. And it all just seems a little hollow. And I think Paul recognizes that too. Because immediately after this, hey, what's holding you up? You ready? He offers this. He says in verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. 
we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Paul closes out this section on freedom with this, the last freedom. The gospel offers us freedom from death. Not just physically, the physical death we'll all experience, but the mental and emotional death we experience on a daily basis, all the things that are just slowly eating away and killing us. And he references in there when he says, as the scriptures say, he's pointing to Psalm 44. If you've never read Psalm 44, I encourage you. I didn't put it on the screen, so you can look at it in your Bibles. You can follow along on your phone. But Psalm 44 is a psalm of lament. And the whole psalm is really the people of God crying out, angry with the Lord. Listen to this. It starts, the first psalm, it talks about how they've seen their ancestors, right, follow God and how God has done all these wonderful, beautiful things for their ancestors. So they get it, right? Okay, we get it. We've heard the stories. God is really great. God is really faithful. But here is our experience. And this is where it starts off in the verse 9. But now you have tossed us aside in dishonor. You no longer lead our armies to battle. You make us retreat from our enemies and allow those who hate us to plunder our land. You have butchered us like sheep and scattered us among the nations. You sold your precious people for pittance, making nothing on the sale. You let our neighbors mock us. We are an object of scorn and derision to those around us. You have made us the butt of their jokes. They shake their heads at us in scorn. We can't escape the constant humiliation. Shame is written across our faces. All we hear are the taunts of our our mockers. All we see are our vengeful enemies. All this has happened, though, we have not forgotten you. We have not violated your covenant. They're saying, you have left us in a spot. And we're not even, we're not even being like, word I can't use, uh, <laughs> screw you, God. Like, we're not, we still acknowledge you as God, but can you see that we're hurting? Verse 22, Paul quotes it in Romans 8. For your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. We're doing this for you. The psalm ends. There's no happy note to this psalm. There's no like, blessed be the name of the Lord. No, that's another This one is, but for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust, lying face down in the dirt. Rise up. Help us. Ransom us because of your unfailing love. How many worship songs on that song? I think it's important that we see this when we sit here in this tension, right? And the shadow of glory is the valley of death. I mean, how could you escape the news this week, right? 
It's a seminal moment in our shared history, uh, Kavanaugh confirmation and hearings, uh, which has led to larger conversations around sexual assault. And uh, statistically, it means that for a number of our women in here and even some of our men, we know fully the pain of assault, the physical or sexual, emotional. We've experienced it. And we're bearing up under it. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, gosh, more than conquerors. And you feel absolutely defeated. I just want to speak to that real quick. John 11, uh, there's a story where Lazarus, uh, this best friend of Jesus, he dies. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. They loved him really deeply. And so in the wake of this trauma, right, in the wake of this, 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 uh, this deep longing and brokenness and, and hurting, this pain, Jesus shows up. He comes. Lazarus is in the tomb. And Mary and Martha are sitting in their pain. Mary and Martha are just two different people, right? So for Martha, she sees and hears that Jesus is not far off. And she immediately packs up her pain and runs it straight to him. And gives it in all her fullness. And he meets her and he gives her comfort. And that's great, right? We talk about that often. Just run to Jesus. And it's true. In Jesus there is healing. Mary, Martha's sister, is a little different. She also hears that Jesus is far off. But she doesn't run to Jesus. She stays in her room. And I just want to say, uh, for any of you that may be bearing uh, the weight of assault, and in general, for any of us, no matter what we're bearing, this reigns true, but particularly I want to say to this, um, that it's okay to sit in your room. And not be able to run like some straight to Jesus. That doesn't make you less of a Christian, less holy, less religious, less, have less faith. It makes you a person hurting. And so it's okay to sit and to take a moment. And Martha, in her wisdom, allows Mary to sit there. I think we got to do a better job of letting those who are bearing under burdens just kind of sit. Maybe we sit beside them and not talk, but it's okay to sit. And then in due time, we can get up and we can come because Jesus is coming. He is on his way. He has already been on his way. And when you're ready, he's there to meet you. And as your brothers and sisters, as we bear our burdens, we allow our brothers and sisters to wait. And then as the Spirit leads, we can, like Martha. Martha comes back to the house, and she just offers a reminder to Mary. Jesus is waiting. He's there. 
And Mary becomes ready, and she goes to Jesus, and she finds the comfort for her wounds. Just want to, I just want us to hold that and understand that. I think Paul gets this too. That's why he puts this in here in the middle of this exhortation of glory. And we did it. There is freedom. There's also grief. And then Paul just closes chapter 8 with just a reminder. He says this. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is just sharing a conviction that spills out of him. For those in grief, man, again, just we have to be true to where we're at, and that's what the Lord asks us to do. But there is a reminder, there is a reminder when we're ready to hear it. That nothing can separate us from God's love. And we often say that verse, I think, in the context of like, you know, you can't out God's love. And that's true. That, that is an aspect of it. But I really think, I really, uh, what Paul is saying here is that no matter what you're bearing up under, God's love can hold that. It's the power of the gospel is to set you free from the things that are killing you. Uh, I've been going back and forth on whether to share uh, this next thing. Um, and I, maybe I won't share it in its fullness, but I will say this before I share it. Uh, two things. Uh, one, um, I, uh, it is personal, and I, I, I try to lead out of vulnerability. Um, and I... And I I reserve the right to be a human. I'm going to tell you where I have today. Maybe that'll change. I don't know. But I, I want to share with you something that's just on my heart. And two, uh, the thing about vulnerability, we can often uh, confuse uh, public vulnerability with private intimacy. And by that I mean uh, I share this because deeply I want you to see because I, too, am convinced, like Paul, uh, of the power of the gospel to free us from the things that can seemingly kill us. Um, and I want you to see it. And if, and if my story can in any way bring us, anyone, some hope or some freedom, then I will, I will suffer every indignation. I will go to whatever ends. I will give my very life, if anyone can be convinced, as I am, of the power of the gospel. That said... I'm not asking for your grandmother's recipes <laughs> or your cousin, what happened like, to your cousin, how they got through. That is not why I'm sharing this. So that said, 
Um, I got married three years ago and quickly like, man, my wife is awesome and she's smoking hot. And, uh, and so as you do, man, you're like, dude, it's, it's baby making time. Amen. Uh, and so we started that process and, uh, six months ago in my time with the spirit and in prayer, um, I would say six months ago, maybe a little more, I got a word. I got some hard news from the spirit and I didn't know if it was true or not, but I just really felt it was true. It was confirmed about a month ago. And what happened was we went in for fertility testing and it turns out that, uh, I have issues that make baby making a pretty low chance. And, you know, you get that news, and again, like, man, the Lord was so gracious that I was prepared for it. And I want to say, like, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's something we rarely talk about together in fertility, things like that. Um, but it's a reality. Miscarriages, they happen more than you think. And what has been crazy is that there's a temptation, right? There's a temptation when you get news like that as a man uh, that it threatens, this condition threatens to become your identity. And, you're, and you have a temptation to let uh, the status of this thing speak into who you are as a man, as a husband, as a person. And the weight of it all can seemingly just kill you. Because what the devil wants to do is use it to tell you a false value of yourself, to destroy your worth. But can I tell you the power of the gospel? Is that it has met me in such wonderful, wonderful ways, and it has shored me up. So I am not down and out or depressed or Less of myself. I know who I am because God loves me. He has called me his own. He's called me beloved. That's all I need. And this is a condition. It's a condition. But it is not my identity. By any means. And the power of Christ strengthens me. And gives me an overwhelming victory in the face of what could destroy me. It doesn't mean it's not like hard at times. Sure, sure, sure. For sure. Absolutely. And for me, I'm more of a Martha. I kind of just like, all right, Jesus, where you at? And so I don't want to say that and that you hear that like, man, this guy is here and I'm somewhere else and that's wrong. No, again, maybe you're Mary and you are suffering under a similar way. And I don't want you to hear me say um, that you are in any way wrong for having a hard time, for, 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 for needing the Lord to meet you. I don't want you to hear that. Sit where you are, and the Lord is on his way. But he is true. And whenever you come to him, whenever, wherever you meet him, and whatever you meet him, whatever your issue is, whatever your condition is that threatens to become your identity, man, can you hear that the Lord stands ready? He stands ready to be with you in it. This is what Paul is talking about. The love of God, what such a pitiful word love is. It just, I hate it. It doesn't even, 
We love hot dogs, and God loves us. <laughs> Such a terrible word. I can't even give you the picture. I just want to say, when Paul is talking about the love of God, he says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is not Liam Neeson in his second best role, Love Actually. This is Liam Neeson in his first role, Taken. God's love is not a condition of his feelings. It is a determination of his actions towards your good. Let me say that again. God's love is not a condition of his feelings. This is not, God really thinks you're swell and great. God really, his heart just flutters when he thinks about you. No, this is not what this means. It means that it is a determination of his actions. Everything that he does, he is drawn to, he is compelled, he is pulled forward by seeking your good. That is what his love means. It comes after you. He has a particular set of skills. And there is no place that God's love won't go. There is no thing that you are born up under that God's love can't lift. It is reckless. It is at times just seemingly foolish. It is pure. It is undefiled. And man, it is a heat-seeking missile. That's what his love is. Hallelujah, amen. Whew, I need it. That's just what I want to say today. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So wherever you are, man, uh, wherever you are, that's where you are. We have to own it. That's the best thing we can do. Because we own where we are. And the Spirit moves us forward. Let's stand. Let's get the band come back up. We're going to move straight into invitation. And here's the invitation. Same question that Paul asked, I asked. But I asked it two times. The first time I asked, what's holding you up? By that I mean, what's bearing the weight of all the things that are threatening to crush you? You know what it is. You know that thing that has been a millstone around your neck. You know the things you're trying to use to keep you afloat. And I just ask, is it working? What's holding you up? It's a question we all need to ask and need to examine. Whatever that thing is, is it strong enough? I know one thing that's strong enough. Second question like the first is, what's holding you up? The Lord calls us and he whispers. And even now, as the music plays, as we move into invitation, the Lord is whispering his call on your heart to say, I am standing ready. When you're ready, I'm standing ready 
to trade your burdens for my peace. So today's invitation, uh, threefold, uh, I just want to say for you're sitting here today and you're just like, man, I've, whatever's been holding me up isn't working and I can see the cracks in it. And you, maybe the spirit is calling, there's something in you that says, man, there's some truth here. Today can be the day that you say, hey, I want that. I want the love of God. I don't want to run from it anymore. And if that's the case, man, I just want to invite you forward. There are going to be people here standing ready just to pray with you. It's real simple. How do you activate it? What does it do? What does it take? Romans 10 tells us this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in our hearts that justifies us and by our mouth confessing that he was raised, that saves us. That's it. We accept it and we profess it. You don't got to do anything else. There are people ready to do that with you today. And then particularly for those, like I said, who have been under the weight of salt, and if uh, that's you, again, I just want to stress, it is okay to sit it's okay to sit. I'm not, I'm not, this is no guilt trip and no shame trip. It is okay. Jesus will be here when you're ready. Receive that. He will be there when you're ready. But if you're ready, I want to invite you forward today too. Just receive prayer. Someone who just wants you to know that you're seen as God sees you and that he hears your pain. And we're just going to invite him. We're not going to solve your problems today. You're not going to have to like delve into the details. We're just going to pray a simple prayer that God would meet you where you are. And then for all the rest of us, whatever you're carrying today, this place is always open. Always open. We're going to come forward and we're going to receive prayer for whatever ails us, whatever we're carrying. And we got people ready to just meet that. And then for those who call themselves the body of Christ, sons and daughters of the King, we have a table, communion, the body broken and the blood poured. This freedom came with the price. That was the price that Jesus paid on the cross. And so we take this meal to remember that sacrifice. So in a second after I pray, we're all going to start moving. Some of us, some of us are going to start moving. Most of us are going to move forward to the tables for communion. Some of us are going to come forward for prayer and be received. And whatever we do, whether we're sitting in our seats, whether we're coming forward, or taking communion or not, I just pray that you would just allow the Lord to do business with you today. What a crazy world we live in. What a crazy world we live in. But our God is sufficient. Let us pray and then we're going to move forward. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have from death, from all the things that are killing us, from all the things that are weighing us down. You say, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. 
those who are heavy laden put everything on me and I will give you my yoke which is easy and my burden which is light. Those are your words to us and your words don't come back void. They are the promise of God that we can hold on to today and tomorrow. So Holy Father, as we come forward with your Holy Spirit, call and whisper to those who need to come. As we come to the table, would you bless the bread and the wine, your sacrifice. No matter where we are today, Lord, would we find in you everything we need. Pray all these things in the wonderful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen.